One of the most confusing passages of Revelation is chapter 17, or chapter 17 and 18, both of them, really. And, and what's going on here is, is they don't fit into the chronology uh, as you go through the book of Revelation. We've talked about uh, you know, things moving forward, what happens in the second half, what happens in the, at the, the very end. And, and what we have is the fourth or the seventh bowl, you know, the seven bowls of wrath, the seventh bowl has been announced as being poured out and the armies are gathered to war, and we don't actually find that war happening until chapter 19. So between chapters, the end of chapter 16, where that bowl is poured out, and chapter 19, where the, the Jesus rides out of heaven on his white horse uh, and slays the armies, uh, we have chapters 17 and 18. And there are these kind of bizarre chapters full of apocalyptic language and pictures, and, and uh, it's, 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 it can be very confusing. Uh, I want to tell you that the funny thing about all this very confusing is it can also be very plain and simple. <laughs> okay. First thing is we recognize that this is, this is a break in the action, and it is a looking back at what has been accomplished over these seven years. Okay. And, and by that I mean um, the, the, he takes us out of the chronology, and, and these seven years have accomplished something very specific. Let me, let me give you something you can flash back to. If you're familiar with the history of Israel, uh, in, in Israel's history, at, at the time of the prophet Jeremiah, this is the time of the prophet Daniel. Daniel was taken into captivity. Jeremiah was left in the land of Israel. Ezekiel was taken into the land of captivity. They were in that land of captivity for 70 years. One of the things that that 70 years did for the nation of Israel was it removed idolatry from Israel. Didn't make them perfect people, but it removed idolatry from them. Okay, these seven years of tribulation are doing something similar for Israel. Chapter 17 talks about, it talks about something called the great prostitute. We're going to find this prostitute represents world religions or false religions. Uh, and and uh, like the idolatry was removed at that time. These religions are going to be wiped out. The world will never see them again, right? Uh, it, it is being wiped out. Chapter 17 is m something much more de dear to our heart. Or chapter 18, we won't get to it till next week, is, is the monetary global financial system <laughs> is going to be wiped out. It's like, no, no, not that one. But we'll get there when we get there. Uh, you know, there's an old saying that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Uh, and, and the truth of that saying lies in your definition of religion because I pulled down my, my Webster's, my 1950 Webster's dictionary and I looked up religion and it was about you know, two inches of definition there, small print, big space, six different categories of definition. <clears throat> and I have no problem with the first definition. It says, belief in a divine or supernatural power or powers excuse me, to be obeyed and worshipped as the creator and ruler of the universe. And I go, well, by that definition, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Christianity is a religion because I believe in a divine or supernatural power uh, that is to be obeyed and worshipped as the creator and ruler of the universe. That, yeah, I do. By that, by that account, Christianity is a religion and I am trying at least to be a religious person. But what we do is when we start looking at religions as a whole, we see a religion is a system of rules to be obeyed that if you keep them, then you're pleasing to God and can go to heaven. 
And when you take that definition, then Christianity is not a religion because we are not saved by the list of rules and things we do by, by being good enough. We are saved by Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. And faith in him. So uh, by that definition, religion in this chapter dies. Okay, Religion is going to die in this chapter. And that is a good thing. That is God accomplishing something he wants. He's going to use the beast to do it. Chapter 17 uses you know, this fantastic language and word, word pictures, but it's presenting a very simple truth. The world that thinks it hates Jesus Christ actually hates God altogether. That's what we're going to find in this chapter. Because we have, for instance, Muslims who think they hate Christians and think they reject Jesus Christ. But what we find out is when, when Christianity is taken out, when Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ is, is essentially eliminated, the world has no need for religion at all. It recognizes that, and it gets rid of it altogether. Uh, and so the world will throw off all religion and accomplish God's will uh, in doing that with dealing with this thing that he calls the prostitute. So we're going to follow a pattern that should be a little bit familiar. We're going to first decode the symbolism. Uh, and once we decode the symbolism, the, the, the message is pretty simple to find. So Revelation chapter 17, the first thing we find, verses 1 and 2. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So we're going to take her and we're going to set her aside for a moment. <laughs> Because she's actually new to this scene, at least presented this way, and we're going to deal with what's familiar because it's easier. We're going to talk about the beast. We'll come back to her. By the way, you heard me read that, and you might say, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this language. Neither am I. <laughs> okay? But I don't know how to get around it. What we are finding here is the depth of God's feeling about this. Right? We're seeing the depth of God's feeling about this false religious system, not just of the end times, but of, but of all times. Okay? So, but we'll come back to that. So verse 3, um, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. And right away we go, okay, I'm not going to try to understand this part. It's too much for me. But actually what we find is, is we've already done this. Because we, looked, we, we came here to explain chapter 14. If we flip back chapter 14, I'm going to read the first eight verses. And we find this beast. The beast is the beast. I mean, I don't know how else to do that. Uh, when Jen was saying that about our fathers, my dad used to have a sweatshirt. Mom always called dad the beast. She wasn't being biblical. <laughs> she just called him the beast. And so we got Dad a T-shirt that said, I mean, a T-shirt, a sweatshirt that said, The Beast. And we have a picture of Dad wearing the sweatshirt that says, The Beast, and Mom is standing next to him in her sweatshirt that says, Mrs. Beast. <laughs> That's what I thought of, Jen. Thank you. So <laughs> doesn't apply to anything, but uh, uh, The Beast is The Beast, 14, 1 through 8. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from, is that, that's, is that, that's not what I want. I want verse 13, chapter 13, sorry. Someone, I've got to talk, I have to talk to my typist. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. You go, okay, yeah, it sure sounds like the same thing. And the beast I saw was like a leopard, and its feet like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it goes on from there, but we have the beast presented. We've already met the beast. So when we meet him again in chapter 16, we're talking about the same beast. We're talking about the Antichrist. The woman is riding the beast. And so when we, when we decode this, we find a close relationship between this woman, whoever she is, and the beast, whoever he is, and this relationship that they have is close. Okay, so we met him before, and, and the beast is riding, uh, the woman is riding, the beast being ridden on or followed with or closely associated with is the Antichrist. Okay, the seven heads, verse 10, they, they, we, we have this, it tells us what's going on. Uh, verse 10 tells us, uh, they are also, speaking of the seven heads, I'll start at verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated, they are also seven kings. Five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. So we have the seven heads are described for us as seven kings, and they're kings from history. We see this by the way they're presented. Five have fallen, one is, one is yet to come. And so we recognize five kings or five kingdoms throughout history. And, and it's not hard to put those together because we are looking at Israel. We're, we're, I'll show you how that works in a minute or two. Uh, we're looking at the kingdoms that affect Israel. The, biblically, the biblical five kingdoms of the past are, are you have the, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medes and the Persians, and the Greeks. Okay, those are the five. When he says one is, at the time this was written, there was the sixth, Rome. And then he says one is yet to come. That is going to be the kingdom of the Antichrist. And we have the seven kingdoms, okay, that, that, that are their world kingdoms. The Antichrist is yet to come. He's the one that's yet to come about. Okay, so there's two questions that need to be answered because if you have a mind that wants to challenge this, and there's nothing wrong with having a mind to challenge answers given about the Bible, especially Revelation. You should not sit and say, well, my, I believe this because my pastor says this. But if you say, my pastor said this, and it makes sense to me, or my pastor says this, and it agrees with Scripture, then you've got a basis for believing something. So hopefully what I can present will, will be a valid answer, because I, here's what I've heard, I, I've done with my mind, because I'm a skeptic. I'm a challenger. I challenge answers that I hear. And so one of the, one of the answers I have is, well, what does that have to do with China? What does that have to do with India? What does that have to do with the kingdoms that these places never ruled over? What does that have to do with the Aztecs? What does it have to do with the Mayans and the Incans, the kingdoms of, of Central and, and South America? What, what does this, why do we call these world kingdoms when we know they weren't world kingdoms? And I go, does everything fall apart when we do this? Uh, I, uh, another challenge, what about Rome? Rome fell, right? Rome fell. 
the rise and fall of ancient Rome, right? It fell. It was, it was conquered. And I've heard arguments that say, well, it has continued because we have a Roman form of government. Well, we have a more or less Roman form of government. You know, we have a senator, we have a president, not an emperor. They started out without an emperor either. But uh, um, it, it fell, and for, for a long time, there was not a Roman form of government in the world. It did not rule the world. So I go, the continuity is lost. How do they do this? And, and, and the answer is actually, the answer to both questions is the same answer. And that answer is Israel. Israel is the focus of what's going on here, not the rest of the world. So these are the seven kingdoms that rule over Israel or affect the history of Israel. And they were the known world then because it was the world that affected Israel. And those other places actually aren't players in this. Uh, these are the seven kingdoms we find in the Bible, or the five previous kingdoms, because they affected Israel. Israel, uh, the, the one that existed at that time because it affected Israel. The one that is going to come in the future with the Antichrist is because it affects Israel. Uh, and, and we are living in this thing called the church age. You can call it a, a parenthesis between Daniel's 69th year and Daniel's 70th year. We could look in Revelation cha or Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, where he says, and in the middle area, he talks about the 70th year and what it's going to be, and it's clearly the year of tri tribulation. Uh, the, 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 the seven-year tribulation period. And, and so the answer is Israel. The seven kingdoms, that, uh, and these seven kingdoms, right, these seven kingdoms make up the identity of the beast because he has seven heads, and these seven heads are these seven kingdoms. Uh, one, the, one of the things about this is each one of these countries tried to dom or did, for a time at least, dominate Israel. Many of them tried to destroy Israel. I thought about that. I thought the Medes and the Persians didn't try to destroy Israel. In fact, they helped reestablish Israel. But still, they tried to dominate them. And there were times when they were less friendly than others. And, and so they dominated Israel. They tried to destroy Israel. Uh, they, they, are, they are the heads of the beast. The beast is like this. The Antichrist will be, be living in the seven-year tribulation. But in a lot of ways, he's always been here. World religions, world nations have always tried to dominate and or destroy Israel. Uh, and, and, and so that is something that hasn't changed. The ten kings, though, are, are something slightly different. As we move on, he, so that's the seven, right? He says, uh, the, the beast you saw, let's see, got to get back to uh, verse 10. Uh, verse 10, they also are seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other is not yet come. When he does, he must come and remain only a little while. Uh, and then the ten horns, verse 12, the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. They are of one mind. They hand over their power and authority to the beast. So the ten kings are not kingdoms from, Pat, from history, they are kingdoms from that one point of time. The earth will, and, and by the way, number 10 may be literal and it may be symbolic. 10 is a number, another symbolic number in scripture. It's not so prevalent as seven, but we have, for instance, 10 plagues on Egypt. We have 10 commandments. And it seems to be a number uh, uh, indicating accomplishment or enough to do the job, something like that. Uh, and so it might be saying all the kings of the earth or it might be saying the earth is going to have, be divided and have 10 kings or 10 powers at that time. Either one works, we'll know, you know someday. <laughs> someday uh, someone will understand for sure what those 10 are. But, but they're going to be, they are, kingdom, they are rulers of the earth at a point in time 
when the Antichrist is going to rise to power. And they will give their power to him. Uh, and, and so they are at the same time as that. Uh, it says they'll receive authority for a short time with the Antichrist. Then they'll hand, uh, hand their power over to him. They make up the seventh kingdom. Uh, when they hand their power over to him, he is of the seven, but he is also an eighth that is of the seven. And that's the language that we find there uh, when we read that. Um, so they, they uh, make... Sorry, I want to come back. So we find the, the, the identity of this beast uh, and what is going on here. Uh, who is the beast being ridden by the woman? The beast is the Antichrist along with all the kings of the world. Okay? So we have that half of the picture, this, this animal, this very strange-sounding animal with the seven heads and the ten horns and, and these kings and those kings. And you, you, know, you can just start pulling out your hair. Okay, put your hair back. Right? Get a little Rogaine and you know, work it in there because, because the beast is the Antichrist. That's all, all that language is to say this, is to identify him uh, and, and what he will be like and what he's doing. Now the prostitute who sits on many waters, right? Uh, back, one of the seven angels had, a, had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I'll show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk, okay? She sits on many waters. What in the world does that mean? Well, I would never be able to figure it out unless I read ahead all the way to verse 15 of the same chapter. <laughs> it's one of those places where the Bible makes it easy for us. Uh, verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages, right? So the water, when it says there, she, she sat on, a prostitute who sat on many waters, it's saying this is worldwide, okay? We're not talking about a woman, we're talking about something symbolized by a woman, first of all, okay? Uh, and, and so this, this, this being, this, this entity that's symbolized by the woman is a worldwide entity. Many la nations, languages, peoples, uh, and tribes, right? First thing we see. She is dressed, verses 4 through 6, in, in elegance, in, in nobility. Um, the woman, starting at verse 4, was arrayed in purple, and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of the earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Okay, so she's worldwide. She's dressed in royalty and wealth. wealth and is wealthy. Uh, she is gross in her sinfulness. She is guilty of the blood of the saints. We have all this. Uh, so who is she? What is this adultery? And the answer, the answer for that, we have to step out of Revelation. And we're going to step into the Old Testament. And, and, and something you just have to accept is the Bible is sometimes not as civilized and cultured as we are. Okay? We have things we say, I don't discuss this in polite company. The Bible is not as civilized and cultured as we are. And what we're about to talk about, what I'm about to read, is offensive. I don't know how to get around it. But if, you, if, you, if it's new to you, then you have not read your Old Testament. Okay? Uh, and and uh, Hebrew, or not Hebrews, Hosea. Hosea is the first of the minor prophets. If you open and find Isaiah, Jeremiah, Dan, uh, Ezekiel, Hosea, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, 
That's the major prophets. The next book is Hosea, the first of the minor prophets. Hosea's got an interesting story. He, he was a godly man who God told to marry a woman who was going to commit adultery. And, and they were going to have children that were not his children. And God uses that as a picture of his relationship with the people of Israel. It's, it's not nice, okay? So chapter 1 basically tells the story of what they did and of the children. Uh, gets as far as chapter 1, verses 8, the third child. When she had weaned, no mercy. Child number 2, pleasant name. The Lord said, call him not my people. She conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, call him not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the land of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it's clear he's using Hosea as a picture of him and his relationship with Israel. And then we move into chapter 2. In chapter 2, let me read verses 1 through 5. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, that she, is, uh, that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are the children of whoredom, for their mother has played the whore and she has conceived them and has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, oil and my drink. And what we find is God is taking adultery, idolatry, and he's calling it adultery. And, and it helps us to understand how God feels about idolatry. See, we don't feel that because we're not in that relationship to, to know what it is to God when his people turn and follow idols. So God told us, this is what it's like. It's like adultery. And he calls this woman a whore. The same word, essentially, it's Hebrew, but in the New Testament we find the great prostitute. It's not hard to make this connection between the two. Okay, uh, I'm going to go to one more, Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Lest you think the only picture we have of this is, is Hosea. Again, not pleasant to read, not pleasant to hear. Not the thing you think you're going to church to come across. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah. King Josiah, by the way, was a godly king. Uh, the Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one Israel, I sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, and she went and played the whore. And it, he goes on. And the thing is, is, is we could go to Isaiah. We could go to other prophets. It's, it, we could go to other places in these same books. It's, it gives us God's picture, what he feels about this. So when we take this and we play it back to the great prostitute, it's not hard to know who the great prostitute is. It is idolatry. It is false religions. It is everything that would take people away from God, but still let them be religious. Right? Uh, and... and some people have come, some of those, by the way, are more offensive. But the point of this is the prostitute is false religion people choose over God. So if, if you have followed much in prophecy, 
Uh, some of you may be filling in the blank and saying this is the Catholic Church. There are some arguments to say we're talking about the Catholic Church. The wealth and royalty of the Vatican. You know, if we watch, you know, the Vatican is a religious organization that has, has uh, embassies in various countries. You know, what is a church doing with embassies? It's, a, it also, it's recognized as a political identity. You, you see the prestige that they have when the Pope goes and visits somewhere. We, we, we hear of the tremendous wealth there. You say, that sounds like the Vatican Church. Has, uh, the Catholic Church is guilty of martyring believers. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you find there were a lot of people martyred for their faith by the Catholic Church. Read about the Inquisition. Read about the Crusades. In, in, in the Fourth Crusade, the Crusaders, on their way to liberate Jerusalem, took Constantinople. And you go, what difference does that make? Constantinople was the capital of the Eastern Christian Church. And, and, and you go, so they were warring against believers. You go, okay, so the Catholic Church sounds like it might fit. Uh, Rome is a city set on seven hills. Verse 18 of Revelation 17 says, uh, and the woman you saw is the great, oh, the great city. That had, that's a different one from what I wanted. Uh, the seven heads... Um, we're also called seven mountains on which the woman sits. Um, and, and you go, Rome is the city set on seven hills. Verse 18 says, and the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And it sounds like it's a city. And so those are all arguments for the Catholic Church. I, but I'll tell you this, I don't think it's the Catholic Church for, for two reasons. First, I think the Catholic Church is too small. And second, I think the Catholic Church is too young. For those two reasons, I don't think we're talking about the Catholic Church. I don't, I don't think, think we're talking about something that little. We, we've, we've already had the seven nations named. We go back as far as Egypt. You know, we're going as far back as, as 1400, 1500, 1600, 1700 BC for when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, right? Uh, we're going back way, way before something like the Catholic Church was around. Uh, the persecution of Christians, of Christians has always been religion including the, the Catholic Church being persecuted. And when we say Catholic Church, understand it came from something not like what it is. But, but the I mean, if you go back to the book of Acts, if you go back to the book of Acts and you look where Christ the Christians were first persecuted, it was the Jews doing the persecuting. It wasn't the Catholic Church. It was religion that persecuted them. And if you go to India today and you find out who is persecuting Christians, you find out it's the Hindus. They're burning villages. They're burning churches. They're burning houses. They're killing people. If you go to, to the Muslim lands and they specifically target Christians and they imprison them and they kill them and they throw acid in people's faces because of their, their faith. And it's religions that are doing this. Right? It, it is not just uh, the Catholic Church. It is religions that are not true. And I'm not trying to say all Catholics are not Christian, but... Um, it's, it's one of the common answers, and I feel like I need to answer it. Even when Christians have been persecuted by atheists, you know, gov atheistic governments, it is atheism because of their faith. Faith is the reason, uh, and it's a, a lack of belief in God or a denial of God that moves them. I think the prostitute is religion, which I'm going to define as man's attempt to be religious while denying God. That, that's, what, that's what religion, or at least denying the one true God. So, so with that, we have the two players identified. The beast and the woman. The beast and the prostitute. The, the beast is the Antichrist. The prostitute is re religion. Uh, of, of any name, of any sort, of any type. Okay? Uh, so we've got these two players. And, and once we get there, the, the, the action is actually pretty simple. Verse 3, she rides the beast. 
Uh, and he carried me away into the spirit in the wilderness. I saw a woman riding on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. Right? She rides the beast. There is a partnership between rule and religion. Right? Reli rulers use religion to gain and maintain power. Religious leaders use the government to gain and maintain power. It is, it is a, you would call that a symbiotic relationship in biology, where they're using each other and, and feeding off each other. And it's been that way. From, if, if you're talking about a political system in which the, 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 the great grand ruler of the land claims to be deity himself and descended from, from deity, or if you're dealing with a, with a, a nation where the, the politician goes to church on Sunday so that he can claim he, he is a Christian to get Christian votes. Uh, either one of those, they're using, they're, the, the, the government is using religion and religion is using government because they feed off each other and they work together. Separation of church and state, which is something we've all grown with and it's a mantra we all know, was brand new with the United States of America. It was unheard of before the United States of America. There was no such thing. Religion and government, church and government, were not separate. They were united and always had been for all of the history of civilized, civilized mankind. Uh, it was a new thing with us. And, and, and so what we have here is a circus act. The woman is riding the beast. The, the picture that you go to the circus and, and the pretty gal comes out riding on a, a tiger, right? She thinks she's in control. <laughs> and she is. Until the tiger says, what is that sweet, soft, nice-smelling morsel on my back? Because I'm hungry. She doesn't know the tiger actually hates her. She doesn't know the tiger actually says, I do not like being ridden by this woman. Right? She thinks she's in control. She thinks she's got this going. These two, this woman and the, and the beast, they make war on the lamb. Verse 14, they will make war on the lamb. But then what happens? The second half of the or second line of the verse, and the lamb conquers them, <laughs> or the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. <laughs> they pick the wrong lamb. <laughs> easy, easy way to answer that. It is the government who gives power to the and hatred to the false religions. The woman directs the beast, but it's the beast that attacks, right? She doesn't have the power to do do them. Fortunately for us, unfortunately for them, the beast attacks the wrong lamb, but it's hard to feel sorry for him. It's hard to feel bad. But here's the thing is verses 16 and 17, the beast destroys the woman. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. God is using them to accomplish his will. What is his will? To get rid of false religion. That's one of the things being accomplished through this, through this all. God is, God is very good at accomplishing what he wants to do. The Antichrist will use religion, but it doesn't mean he likes it. it we talk about one world religion, and we, we don't know what it's going to look like. But you know, you picture those coexist bumper stickers that show all the different religions working, you know, as if they, they are one. And the problem with that is it works really well if you don't know what Islam actually teaches or what Hinduism actually teaches or what Christianity actually teaches because they don't teach the same thing. Because you can find areas of overlap, 
that they all will teach to, to the, essentially the golden rule doesn't mean they, they agree because you can find a point of overlap. You and I can agree on everything, uh, can, can disagree about everything else, but we still both breathe, breathe oxygen. <laughs> I can't say, well, we both breathe oxygen so we can get along. <laughs> it, it, it's not going to work real well. The Antichrist, is, he'll use religion, but it doesn't mean he likes it. Religion is a tool used by people who don't believe in God. Religion is a tool used by people who hate his word. Homosexual politicians go to church. Christian church, so they can call themselves Christian. But they don't pay any attention to what the Bible teaches. People with, with crosses hanging around their, their neck will, will say abortion is good. See, anybody can use religion. Using religion does not make you religious in a true sense of the word. It doesn't make you right. Uh, and, and the Antichrist will use religion to get what he wants, but once he has what he wants, it is useless to him. And the world will find out that they don't like religion at all. They don't need religion anymore. They don't need Islam. They don't need Hinduism. They don't need God in any form because they've got what in this place? They've got the Antichrist representing the beast. And he will think about religion the way a carnivore, a large carnivore, thinks about a woman riding on his back. And the Antichrist will destroy all religion but the worship of himself. Right? That's what he's going to do. There will be no more religious deception. It will be gone. People will either follow Christ or they will follow Satan. Uh, Christ or the Antichrist. Uh, and and that, is, that is what we find accomplished. And that's what Revelation chapter 17, big picture anyway, is all about. And verse 17, in so doing, the beast will accomplish God's will. This is all going to end with something, not the end of the world, but the beginning of the millennium. Jesus Christ reigning for a thousand years. There will be no religion. Not in the bad sense. There will be no, no religion in the sense of people, you know, following this set of beliefs or that set of beliefs. There will be one. The worship of Jesus Christ. And Satan will be released. We'll find out that there are still those who will choose to follow Satan, but it will be, it'll be something they know they're doing. It won't be by deceived by people saying, no, no, we're teaching the truth. Or, no, no, we're teaching the truth. You know? Oh, I'm a Baptist, so you know we teach the truth. Or I'm a Presbyterian, so you know we teach the truth. Or I'm a, you know, I, first universal church of, I don't know what. <laughs> I'm going to try to make it up. Application for today, beware of becoming religious. Beware of your Christianity being diluted to a list of do's and don'ts, to a list of rules that you follow. Christianity doesn't consist of a set of rituals or things we do to please God. And I, and I say that knowing we do a lot of things, and there's a lot of things we do. You know, why do we call it devotions in the morning? If you do devotions in the morning, good for you. Why do we do them? Sometimes, out of duty. You know, sometimes I'll say, I don't know that this is doing anything for me, but I'm going to, I say, I'm saying I'm devoted to God. I'm going to be devoted to God, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, that's reality. Sometimes it, it, there is a making ourselves to do it. But, but if our, our Christianity consists only of the things that we make ourselves do, that, then we don't have that. Work to be sure your relationship with Jesus Christ is real. Make sure there is sincerity about it. Make sure there is truth behind it. Relig being religious does not save you. I don't care how good you are. 
being religious, being good will not save you. Jesus Christ saves you. Be sure your relationship is in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And, and Lord, this is, this is some difficult stuff, this, this passage of scripture and the next one. And, and Lord, I just pray that as we put it together, as I seek to put it together, that you will guide me. And Father, that as we look at how this fits and, and applies in our lives, that we find that even these passages have meaning to us. Lord, let us live in close relationship with you. Protect us from the error of religion. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.